Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I went over to Melbourne's West in the centre of Footscray, where there is a beautiful bar called Mr. West. Here is Josh Hodges talking his way through the six beers that changed everything. Let's get into it. So welcome to the Chosen Brew, Josh Hodges from Mr. West. Very, very excited to be uh, a part of this podcast. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to be here because it. We're, uh, I was going to say we're filming it. Thankfully, we're not filming it. We're recording Thankfully. it. Thankfully. <laughs> Just audio yeah. uh, in your bar, Mr. Yeah. West. And it's, I'm always happy to be here. It's a happy place to be. Tell us for those listeners who don't know what Mr. West is, what is Mr. West? Uh, Mr. West is a, a multifaceted drinking space, is the way I like to describe it. Um, my business partner and best mate, uh, we've been uh, serious drinkers for a long time. Uh, very passionate about cocktails, very passionate about natural wines, minimal intervention wines, very passionate about diverse and obscure spirits, uh, but also very passionate about craft beer. Um, so it's just a, a good way to showcase all of these different passions in one spot. Yeah. Now, do you kind of lose something if most venues do just focus on one thing, whether it be the local tap house or whether it yeah. be uh, you know even a microbrewery like Hop Nation or something down the road? They're just focusing mainly on one thing. Do you lose something when you foc- when you've got sleep? You know, yeah. yes, sleep. <laughs> just <laughs> we just we work ourselves pretty hard to the bone. Um, but no, no, it's um, I think w- we're both, and all of our crew are just so into booze and different ways that booze can be presented. Um, so we like to just maintain a high standard across the board. I mean, personally, I always found it interesting, especially with. Uh, more classic beer bars and wine bars and cocktail bars you'd go into them and the wine bars you've got on your beer list is an option of seven different lagers uh you go into a cocktail bar and it's much the same and you go into a beer bar and they don't know you know the difference between a pinot gris and a chardonnay and it's kind of um yeah i i, I might want to go out and drink a pina colada and my girlfriend might want to drink a, a pint of ipa and we there's not too many places that you can go to and um experience all of that in in one venue, you kind of have to bar hop. So we just wanted to be uh, facilitating to to it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think that is very true. I I came in here. It, you'd been open maybe two, three weeks. I came in, and Sorry. it would have been. Well, I was pretty impressed. I, w- I had actually because uh, this used to be a two dollar shop. I'd actually That's come right. to to buy some hardwares, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, <laughs> dustpan come. and brush and things. Yeah, and, uh, Sadly, it was this bar. Yeah, unfortunately uh, <laughs> for you, you had to spend a little bit more than two dollars. But I'm sure the. You had a good time nonetheless. Yeah, most definitely. But I think one of the things that really uh, stuck out to me was the welcome. Uh, I think it was Caleb who served me. It was the welcome uh, as soon as we walked in. And it was the engagement in product straight away. It was, what are you drinking? What would you like to drink? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And it was the conversation around that. And that's something that's lacking in a lot of hospitality venues is one thing is a warm welcome. But another thing to 
to be knowledgeable about and he uh, Caleb was able to skip between and yourself you can do this as well is skip between well I know a lot about wine I also know a lot about spirits and beers yeah. and if you don't then somebody behind the bar does so that level of engagement how do you find that um, obviously from your hospitality background you've grown capable of that yourself absolutely but how do you find it though training other people to do that as well I think it's it's really interesting because I was reading something um, from uh, Noma in Copenhagen and they've got a rule at their venue that every time uh, a staff member sees a guest for the first time, it doesn't matter how long that guest's been there, that staff member says, hey. Um, and they've got 40, 50 staff at that restaurant. So you could imagine you know, you're getting 50 greetings in a night. That I, I'd prefer people to greet someone 120 times than not at all. I think it's a really important thing and people are often intimidated by new spaces. I used to work at uh, Cookie in the CBD and it's a behemoth of a space. It's ginormous. So it's incredibly uh, important that the bartenders grab people's attention and say, hey, welcome. Let's have a chat and make people feel at home from the moment they step in the door because a venue like this or a venue like Cookie, they're they can be really intimidating. And having that human interaction is really, really important for mm. making people feel at home. Uh, as far as making help while guiding our staff into doing it, I think we just, we're pretty lucky that we've got an awesome crew. And yeah, Caleb's, Caleb's phenomenal at that. I think, yeah, he's got an awesome knowledge and he's really awesome with customers as well. But we, we all just love love the opportunity to do what we do and do it well and like talk to people. Like we get to talk to people about beer for a living like that's awesome we get to talk to people about things that we're passionate about for a job it's pretty it's pretty cool i don't think it's hard to be excited about welcoming people in and be like hey come check this out we're really stoked on all about all of these products let's let's find out how you can be as excited as we are on these products i think that's definitely something that comes through i think there's a couple of types of beer drinkers ones that like to try uh, new and exciting things for themselves mm. and ones that love to share mm. and, sh- and almost be evangelist about it and i think that's definitely the case with yourself and caleb totally. is that you 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 try something but then you want to tap someone on the shoulder and say you've got to try this now <laughs> and that's Please, a big yeah, difference yeah, yeah. like oh, this is going to blow your mind. This is going to blow you away. If you like that beer you had last week, you need to get on this beer because it's really sensational. If you like this wine, if you like that whiskey, try this. There's, there's so many different pathways and avenues you can pursue in booze and they're all delicious and exciting. Now, you said that people are often intimidated coming into a new space. Is is part of that from your experience at Cookie where you had to climb so many steps and then at Mr. West you've got less steps. But, but still steps. Yeah, and for some people that might be an ordeal in itself to get all the yeah. way up here. I think, I think there's something very charming about, um, I guess, speakeasy style bars and having a kind of clandestine environment where you're not... The, the space you enter is different to the space you came from. I guess so for example at Mr. West you come up the stairs in the middle of a bustling walking mall in the middle of Footscray which is this amazing suburb in the west of Melbourne that is so diverse and so many different characters from uh, bankers and businessmen to uh, crack addicts and drug dealers and like everyone is just so colourful and you enter our doors to our bottle shop uh, working in is one of the best people watching sites in Melbourne, what we see is phenomenal. But then you go up these stairs into a completely different environment again, which is the bar. 
yeah, I think it's it's awesome to have that element of uh, elusiveness and like the mystery and discovery. I think they're all really exciting things and really, yeah, really really cool things to have in a bar. Yeah, I think it's th- there is definitely a sense of escapism as well. Mm. Is that you kind of it's almost like climbing into a little box, mm. and for that moment, you know, the atmosphere in here is very different. Um, you can it it doesn't. I'm not sure what it quite feels like, but I like it. It's yeah. nice. It's like accidentally climbing into a little cuddle. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I, I, I love the idea of just having a warm, welcoming space uh, where you just... It, it could be here for 10 years or two days, but it, just st- it still feels like home. The one thing that I sense from... Um, the beer drinking community in the West, whether it be online or when you meet them in the amazing venues that are now in the West, they're so passionate about it. And they're so, uh, they've got a sense of parochialism, which is so positive. I I, I suppose there was a sense of it when, um, without bringing football into it, but uh, when the Western Bulldogs won, it was that sense that there was such a wave of pride. And I feel like the West is kind of very proud of its beer now. Absolutely. But also with the WAFL and the uh, Two Birds and how that all integrated and became a thing. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the beer drinkers, Westside Beer Drinkers, Beer Drinkers of the West, uh, an awesome little community. And yeah, we're, we're really lucky to be uh, have have them drinking with us and yeah. involved in our venue. Yeah, Got it all. And um, we're here to talk through your six beers that changed everything. Yeah. So... Um, well, let's get let's get started. Well, t- t- talk us about you. Talk us through your first beer. Uh, well, I think the fir- the first one's a, a funny one. It was a really hard one for me to choose. I um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I grew up in pubs. Um, my dad used to run the Great Britain Hotel in Richmond, um, and now looks after the Cherry Tree. All the crews moved over to the Cherry Tree in Cremorne. And uh, the GB was one of the first pubs in Melbourne to have Mountain Goat on tap, one of the first pubs to have Little Creatures on tap, and one of the first uh, pubs to have uh, Feral on tap. It was uh, as it was such an easygoing and beautiful drinking environment, but they definitely pushed the boundaries as far as craft beer in Victoria went. Um, and, yeah, I, I always grew up drinking really good beers as a consequence, which... <laughs> In, in high school made me come across as an absolute snob because <laughs> dad would always let me drink his beers and I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then my mates were all drinking Carlton Draft and uh, I was like, guys, you know, we can actually drink beers that taste nice. But that was, I, you know, I get bullied <laughs> for that and I get teased and wedgies and all that kind of jazz for being a nerd or being a snob or whatever, like... That was uh, pretty funny. I, I empathise with you there. Totally. Uh, yeah, I was drinking uh, traditional real ale. Absolutely. <laughs> and my friends were drinking cans of Foster's. Yeah, well. <laughs> Australian yeah. for beer. Australian spice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think one of the beers that was a, a bit of a turning point was the Little Creatures Pale Ale for me. So I think that's the, that's the, that's the first beer uh on my on my journey that kind of made me think about beer made me think a little bit more about beer um and obviously having you know the galaxy hops and all those beautiful tropical aromas and flavors it was just so much fun um yeah that's that's beer number one for sure absolutely and you saying about the great britain Mm. um under your father's stewardship 
um, had these amazing beers. What? Why? Was was that? That's a bit of a risk, is it not to take? Oh man, they cop so much flack. And also at the time, like Richmond um, was quite similar to how I guess Footscray is now. Um, and I remember uh, hearing stories of Dad and the team um, all wearing dresses behind the bar. All these blokes wearing dresses behind the bar, pouring craft beers on nights that AFL games were on, because they were just they they associated craft beer with the people that actually cared and the people that uh, didn't care and were obnoxious and were acting like buffoons uh, didn't drink the craft beer. And they'd more often be the violent and aggressive types. So to scare them off, all the blokes behind the bar dressed in <laughs> women's clothes <laughs> and the blokes that drank uh, all the macro-produced beers didn't want to drink there anymore because they're like, oh, this is just ridiculous. And they'd go to the next pub down the road in Richmond and then we'd get this awesome little community of people, uh, open-minded, uh, open-minded people who were happy to drink craft beer and didn't mind, didn't mind all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of sense that um, times have moved on, but part of me thinks, <laughs> well, not everyone has moved on. <laughs> it's, it's quite, it's quite. That's a lovely story, and uh, and and yet, yeah, I suppose Richmond, because it's the football capital, it, it's you know, it's a very kind of uh, traditionally working class area as well. It's now being gentrified. Um, the just handing someone a, a pint of Hytale over the bar, just the colour of it would have been off-putting to quite a few people. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. And and then when we got down the track to, to sour beers and things like that, yeah, I think I I have a lot of uh, sympathy but also a lot of respect for a lot of those founding brewers and publicans and operators and sales reps and uh, that that pioneered this movement because the, the first slog was rough (laughs) it was pretty hard um and to think about where we are now where uh i think we've got four sour beers on tap at the moment at mr west and we've got you know two three stouts and one lager it's pretty bizarre to think how far it's come and the efforts that everyone's the amount of effort everyone's had to put in to get us in the beer world to where we are today is profound yeah yeah it's quite amazing and uh, but still there is the language around you know it's for hipsters it's for a certain um type of person craft beer mm. um is that that's not your experience here in terms of clientele oh well we've got we've got the most diverse clientele here uh it's hilarious how it gets craft beer gets put in pigeonholed as for hipsters only because we've got uh, African women and ladies, Vietnamese people, we've got Pakistani people, uh, obviously men, women, families, all coming in here and drinking craft beer. So I think it's pretty myopic. It's pretty narrow-minded to say that it's only for hipsters. I think it's just something people people learn to love. And yeah, Who would have thought the mainstream media could be narrow-minded? <laughs> that's, that's why we have people making podcasts. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so tell us about uh, your second beer. So beer number two, uh, I, was, I was working at Cookie and I think it was my first night. It was my first ever knockoff with the team of, I think there was 12 of us that sat down. I didn't know what beer to choose um, at the time. And I think it's due to all the flack I copped in high school about liking nice beers. I actually drank more 
dark spirits and uh, like whiskeys and rums than I did beers just because I was like, all right, well, I've found my niche. I'm getting too bullied. I'm getting too fed up with being bullied about drinking good beer. I'll just drink something completely different. I thought you were um, going to say it just, just to get you through high school. You just <laughs> had a whiskey yeah, yeah. in your bag. Just to get me through <laughs> those, yeah, 17 long blacks a day and yeah. a couple of shots of rum and a few old fashions to get me through BCE. Oh, there'd be a few of your teachers the same as well. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I've run into a few of my teachers recently and like served, served them booze and like watching. I think it's, it's funny because teachers are renowned for being boozy and getting on it but you don't you don't ever think of that as a kid but then when you're serving them the booze it's hilarious it's so <laughs> funny um no but i i didn't drink much beer so i had i was working at cookie and i had 400 i think the, the beer list was over 400 beers at the time and i didn't even know where to begin and a cocktail bartender that i really admired um and still do admire um andy andy filth who's was working for the speakeasy group um, he cracked it into a Quinda Black IPA and I tasted it with him and I remember like just so piercing like so vividly his, his dis- flavour descriptions of this beer and I'd never heard beer spoken about this before he said the Quinda Black IPA it tastes like passion fruit and armpits but in the nicest possible way <laughs> and I smelt it and I was like, it smells like passion fruit and armpits. And I tasted it and I was like, and it's bloody delicious. What's, <laughs> like, what's going on here? So understanding, understanding that beer could be so much more, again, from what I'd experienced with Little Creatures, was uh, awesome. Super insightful. And that opened a whole new world of, of beers to me. And I think every, every night at Cookie, I worked there for almost three years. And every night I tried a different beer as part of my knockoffs. Uh, and... Yeah, that was that was an unreal experience, an, un, an amazing learning curve. Yeah, because I remember that Coinda Black IPA. I remember it really divided my friends. Really, some of them thought because it was quite complex. I mean, the color, the smell of it, as you say, was quite distinctive, and uh, I, I thought it tasted quite medicinal as mm. well. People we trying to get over that um, sense, and it also seemed. A little bit of ahead of its time as well. It was totally ahead of its time. Because the black IPA style kind of came into fashion and has faded a little. And I think there, there are still um, some barriers to overcome there. But I hope it com- comes back into fashion again. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, I think the most recent one we had on tap was the tall uh, black malts and body salts, a double black IPA, which... I think it's, it's absolutely stunning beer. It's an absolute cracker. It sounds um, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's like amplified. I think as a as a as I said, I was getting into dark spirits and whiskies at the time. Having something with a really strong malt profile, as well as the lifted hot profile, was really interesting to me. And I could relate. My my palate understood roasted malts, even though I didn't know what roasted malts were. My palate got it, and then I was also my palate also got hops, and then they kind of kind of harmonised. They came together, and I was like, "Poor, this is this is something cool. This is a bit of fun." So your palate was ahead of its time. Ma- so <laughs> <laughs> it was racing um, ahead. Yeah, no, I think I, yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Let's do choice three. Um, so so you've got a pale ale, you've got a, a black, black IPA, IPA. Yeah, uh, Western Australia. Coinda's just in uh, Heidelberg. Yeah. Um, the third one I wanted to talk about was the uh, Hitachino's Nest Espresso Stout. And I always loved the Hitachino Nest Brewery. I uh, drunk them out and I had them at 
where I was working at the time, Cookie, and I took a trip overseas with my two best mates who were musos and we went and did Japan and Sri Lanka and India and Bangkok. Um, but we, we saw Tokyo from... Well, I got to see to- Tokyo from a musician's perspective and we went to the Fender factory and we did uh, like record hunting and all this kind of stuff. And I said, all right, guys, I'm happy to go with the flow on everything you want to do, but I want to check out this brewery. It's 40 minutes outside of Tokyo by the train. Let's check it out. And I remember tasting the, uh, sorry, the Hitachino Nest espresso stout from the tank. And that experience of drinking a beer fresh from the tank was just another thing that just it's just a game changer like you get to see ah just like the expression and the intensity of those flavors that was cool that was really cool because that that's a brand of beer which has uh had some penetration in the market in terms of you can get it in dan murphy's and things like that Mm. but often when i've seen it it it's quite expensive compared with other other products and there's dust on the bottles and Mm. i think that's such such a sad kind of affair when you can go to the brewery and taste it fresh and then you can sometimes find a dusty bottle which is going to be a shadow of what it should be absolutely and storage is something that we shameless plug focus (laughs) so (laughs) much so much on here um yeah storage freight cold storage looking after the beers treating the beers as they should be treated i think it's incredibly important we'll talk about that because there is you know Running a bar is one thing, and you've got logistics to running that bar, Mm -hmm. and particularly with so many beers on tap, there are logistics to running that. Mm -hmm. And then you add in the mix of a bottle shop with some great wines, spirits, and beers, and then you run into the thing that you've got the knowledge, and you know that beer diminishes over time, and you know that you have to rotate your stock and keep an eye on dates. Mm-hmm. That is a lot to do. What oh, systems a, you have in place? It's to a pain kind in the ass. We've got <laughs> we've got spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets, or we we've documented all of the date codes of our beers in spreadsheets. And as soon as they're up to six months, we treat them with a little bit more intensity, and uh, that's in the bottle shop at least. Mm. We don't accept beers that are older than three months old. Doesn't matter where they're from in the world. Uh, if the beer rocks up and it's three months and one day old. I'll just send it straight back. Like it's, it's incredibly important for me to be presenting beers and all of the products that we sell as the brewer or the distiller wants them to be presented or the winemaker wants them to be presented. It's like, especially with craft beer, it, like handcrafted, artisanal, like it's, it's, a passion project and these people are devoting their hearts and souls and all of their time into getting their product to a certain standard then they'll cold store and they'll cold cold ship it and then it will end up at insert large bottle shop chain name here on a floor stack in the Australian summer and it's just it's I just find it so disrespectful so what we really focus on is just making sure that we're paying the respect to the producers to the makers we pay them as much respect as possible. And for for the listeners, some of the listeners who thinks, well, I buy a slab of beer and keep it in the cupboard or keep it, you know, wherever, um, or in the shed, What's what happens to beer if it's not treated? What's the difference between just, a three-month-old beer? It just degrades. And, and obvi- obviously there's certain beers that can get... Um, 
that do get more complex than they do uh, develop with age. Not necessarily better, better or worse, but that like stouts and saisons and lambics can be like put away and develop. But they need to be put away at a consistent temperature. I think fluctuating temperatures is one of the worst things for beer. Um, but as far as hop forward beers, they just deteriorate. All the flavour goes away. You end up uh, having a beer that tastes like Sultana brand. Uh, and I think the the funny thing about beer faults versus uh, faults in any other category is beer faults aren't necessarily uh, f- bad flavours. When you when you have an oxidised wine and it tastes like cardboard and it tastes like soggy, damp cardboard or you have a problem with the yeast in the wine and it gets all mousy then gets all barnyardy and you get this like lingering flavour at the back of your palate. That's It's bad flavours. But uh, the flavours of oxidisation in beer and uh, diacetyl and acetaldehyde they're not necessarily unpleasant flavours. So to the layman who's just picked it up from Dan Murphy's, they probably don't realise that it's a problem. Uh, but yeah, when you're a jerk like me and you pay attention <laughs> to that kind of thing. <laughs> you're in good company. Uh, I think that was the case though, wasn't it, when uh, the European beers were being imported and there was that kind of cardboard taste to them and then Absolutely. when they were locally produced, they were like, oh, that doesn't taste the same. I want them to taste cardboardy like Totally, and I think, I think um, until recently, uh, when, we've, when uh, distribution companies have really picked up their game and started caring about how they present their beers the Australian palate almost uh, developed to appreciating those kind of style those faults as the styles if you know what I mean and then they try them fresh and they're like oof this is a little bit bitter and a little bit floral what's going on here and when the like Australian brewers started making them they're like oh no I much prefer this imported stuff because it's a little bit more mellow it's got that beautiful <laughs> butterscotch and caramel flavour <laughs> and it's got that real Sultana brand, brand vibe I love that you know what I mean? It's funny. Then you kind of get your local producers. How do we replicate that? <laughs> but that's it. Absolutely. And, and then pe- it's Bruce almost... tried to do it, yeah, though. Yeah. It's almost like a race to the bottom rather than what you feel now is actually a race to the top in Absolutely. terms of standards. But the, the chain and logistics and the supply chain only gets better if people like yourselves send beer back or question the orthodoxy yeah. and say, we actually won't accept this. And that's the only way things improve until the, the big chains kind of start motioning on that. Then. Absolutely. I think it's good as well. Like When I brought it up with most of our suppliers about our three-month rule, pretty much everyone was like, yeah, awesome, great idea, because you just want our beers to be tasting best and we know that you're going, you're going to look after them from your end. Obviously, if someone's demanding those kind of uh, rules and regulations and then leaving beers under the staircase or in the sun or whatever, it's a bit iffy. But uh, everyone was excited, which was, I think, a really positive step in the right direction. Uh, It's awesome. It's good. And it's interesting as well that when we talk about those standards being lifted, we often put the onus on the consumer. But if the consumer has limited knowledge then how are they supposed to make that right decision? So you're actually doing it pro- from the supply side, improving the standard and yeah. educating the consumer. And hopefully then the consumer walks past down the street and walks past the chain bottle store and goes into the independent one where things are looked after, where things totally. are different, where actually they're getting much more value for money. Absolutely. Yeah. And from the way, the way that we treat deliveries, they come in the back door... 
they get entered into the system and then within half an hour they're put into our cool room. So we've got a, I think it's 10 by 5 meter cool room downstairs, uh, which looks after our package stock and our kegs. And then all of our fridges on the floor uh, set to individual temperatures based on the style of the beers. Now, I don't think everyone has to be that extreme, but if everyone can just <laughs> get into The listeners of this podcast think they do. <laughs> They're thinking half an hour. That's an way hour. too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that's worst case scenario, you know. We don't... Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. The um the amount of the amount of effort that people go into to cold store beers and keep beers fresh, so the consumers can enjoy them as as yeah as they should, is is a lot of work. But it's so worth it when you get to taste. Like we had, we had we brought this beer across from Canada, and uh, I'll go into this in a bit more detail later. But we we got to have a beer from Canada that was packed five weeks before uh, it arrived, and we put it on the shelves. And that's so special that like the beer, the community of beer worldwide, is heading that way. You know, it's awesome. And it definitely opens up the market for totally. Australian totally. producers to get to Asia, to get Absolutely. to North America in and a as, reasonable time. With as soon as we stop, um, with all this crazy excise on the smaller size kegs, which is, yeah, it befuddles me why we was ever said in the first place but we'll be able to get awesome awesome beers from overseas and they won't be costing us as much as they currently do yeah. so Josh this was a $2 shop I fear that it looks a little bit different and you've kind of remodeled the space somewhat tell us about that little little journey how we how we worked it and the, the works we've done we got really lucky to be honest because I, I think the building that itself is stunning we've got these concrete walls that were originally here these Oregon timber uh, rafters and skylights through the vi- entire venue and they were all here all we had to do was uh, rip down a few walls and clean up a little bit of rats droppings <laughs> um, and a whole lot of mess I think we ended up with uh, 15 uh, skips 15 bins of junk that we threw out because we took this over as it was still a $2 shop. So this upstairs area hadn't been used for 10 to 15 years and downstairs still had all the shelves and all the junk from the $2 shop. Uh, so we actually repurposed the the shelves. We powder-coated them and put perforated metal on and flipped them upside down and they're actually our back bar at the moment. Um, the mirrors that run down the side of the building were all downstairs already. Uh, and the frames for those mirrors, we actually uh, cut ourselves. Caleb's Caleb's a bit of a handyman. I got I got lucky with that one. Uh, he cut them all down, <laughs> and uh, we've got those frames that were the original shelving for upstairs. So upstairs used before it was a two dollar shop. It was a textiles manufacturing company. So there was the retail outlet downstairs, uh, and the sweatshop essentially upstairs, and. It's pretty much the same now <laughs> we, 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 we run our asses off upstairs while the boys downstairs get to sell the bo- sell the booze and chill out well that definitely that adds something really nice about uh, that little bit of knowledge about repurposing those things is is really nice and you, you kind of you do have to have a good imagination to imagine it as a two dollar shop but uh, yeah i think you can come and try a few beers and, and try yeah but, um yeah, so we're taking us on this beer journey. You've gone from Western Australia to Heidelberg to Japan. Mm-hmm. Where are we going next? Choice four. So this is 
This is a bit of a long and convoluted story, but I promise I'll get there. In it's the a end. podcast, Josh. All right, we excellent. Can cope. We don't have to make sense. No, it's all, all, <laughs> all good. So when I was traveling with my mates in uh, Asia, we went to Bangkok and Sri Lanka and India and uh, Japan, and we didn't. This was, I think, we were 20, 20 years old. And we hadn't taken a gap year or anything after high school. We'd saved for those two years and then we just went on this massive trip. Uh, A few months before I went overseas with my mates, I actually got into a serious motorbike accident. Um, And I had this vintage uh, Honda motorcycle. It was a beautiful thing. It was like a 67 little cafe racer style. And it turned out it was the only one in the country, which I didn't know at the time. So I actually got all my insurance money back while I was traveling uh, so I got a big cash injection and I had this kind of mental debacle where I was like I'm buying a new motorbike or should I keep traveling and I met this dude the night before from Mexico and we went out in Thailand and just partied and I was like Fuck, I'd love to go to Mexico and then this all happened the next day and immediately I booked flights to the States and was going to work my way down to Mexico. Um, and I'd met a few dudes who in Japan who lived in Portland. Um, so I went to Los Angeles. I actually got a fake ID in Thailand because at 20 I couldn't drink in the States. So I got a fake ID made so I could drink at all the cool bars and drink all this awesome booze, go to cocktail bars, go to beer bars. Uh, and I really wanted to go to the Napa Valley but all the tours were so expensive they were like $600 and I didn't even go to any of the vineyards that I wanted to go so with my fake ID I ended up hiring a car and at this stage of my life I didn't have my driver's license yet <laughs> I only had my motorbike license and I photoshopped my passport and hired a, a car and drove all around the Napa Valley and ended up driving <laughs> to Portland Wow. Um, And I hung out with these guys and I was like, guys, you told me that your mates are into craft beer. I'm going to go to Deschutes. I'm going to go to Bridgeport. Uh, What else else should I see? And one of them suggested this brewery called Cascade. And I'd never heard of it. And obviously as an Aussie... You were like, oh, Cascade, what do you mean? Oh. <laughs> it's Tasmania's fast. Driving to Tasmania <laughs> is, no. <laughs> so I've ended, up, I've ended up with this car. I've been drinking illegally in the States. Um, I'm in Portland and these guys take me to a, a barrel room, Cascade Barrel Room. And I've been searching for this beer all day. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, I'm pretty sure, uh, rhubarb bourbon barrel aged wild ale and that beer was the beer that changed beer forever for me it was one of the most beautifully complete and harmonious beers that i've ever had in my entire life it was like sweet and sour and tart and funky and round and finished and i've been cocktail bartending at cookie i'd been cocktail bartending a little bit throughout melbourne and this with a, with a cocktail, you have so much control. If you want more sweetness, you add more sugar. If you want more citrus, uh, and you're trying to create this uh, this melting pot of all these different ingredients that all accentuate each other, and the sum of 
the creation is better than the individual parts. And for me, this beer was exactly that. It was, it was perfectly balanced. Um, and I, I just remember sitting with these two dudes and they were just watching me. They didn't care about craft beer. They were just hanging out with me. And they were just <laughs> watching me like have this super existential moment where I'm just like sitting there drinking this beer like, what? what's just happened? What have I just put in my mouth? This this is just the most complete beverage I've ever had. I think and high school had trained you for this moment. Like yeah, being all of, on all your own, <laughs> being an individual. Iso- isolated. Yeah. Isolated for drinking good beers and I, I come to this I come to this beer and it just blew me away. It was awesome. Um I I just I've tried looking for the beer since and I, I don't even know if Cascade have any internet records of making a rhubarb beer i tried looking for it today i've tried looking for it before but i'm pretty sure it was something along those lines well maybe we can do a bit of research and try and find out and maybe some listeners might be able to get on the case as well and find this beer because it's it's almost one of the it's a double-edged sword it's one of the joys of of craft beer because sometimes a beer does come along which blows your socks off or that you just really chimes with you and you really enjoy and then it never appears again, mm. and it's kind of that elusive thing. I kind of like that though. I'm not, yeah, too, I'm, not I'm not displeased. Uh, I think it'd be one of those things like ET. You know, you watch it as a kid and you're amazed, and then you watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, I don't need to see ET again. I, I definitely don't want to have that experience ever with a beer because I was just so blown away um, at the time by this beer. Yeah, I it's imagine crazy. like uh, when I, when I was twenty, the idea of that trip that you've described would kind of it probably would have made me nervous back then. Mm. N- now, as a father, it makes me extremely nervous. Oh, man. Oh, and when, I, when my mum found out that I had <laughs> a car, she was ropeable. It was so funny. She's, she's a bit of a stress head. She's, she's amazing. I love my mum. But far out. She, was, she found out like three years later, and I still got the, Joshua Hodges, sit down. I cannot believe you did. <laughs> Classic mum. Yeah, yeah. You, if you're doing things like that, you'll never grow up to make a living out of it. But here you are. Well, that's <laughs> it. How funny is that? Yeah, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's move on to choice five. Um, so choice number five is Hop Hog from Feral Brewing Company, which I think for a lot of people is just one of those Australian game-changing beers. Um, I had the the privilege of actually working for Feral for three years as a Victorian sales rep. And uh, I think that beer is what taught... Working for Feral and working with the team that we had was what really drilled into me about freshness and storage and all the important things that I harp on, harp on about today. Um, so less less about the beer, more about the brewery. But I think that beer sums up the brewery pretty well. Um, how well that they, how well they treat that beer, how well they look after that beer, the extents they go, the extremes that uh, BV goes to to make sure that that's always fresh and yeah, just awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, I remember quite vividly uh, having Hop Hog on tap at the Royston mm. in Richmond, and shout out to Ed. Yeah, and uh, it was it was so fresh. Absolutely. And I just I gave a pot of it to my friend and said, try that. And he almost didn't even get his nose into it. And he's like, wow, that is <laughs> unbelievable. Does this come in a fragrance? Yeah. It, yeah. And it was, it was knock your socks off good. Now, um, 
I think probably one of the most powerful things with Feral as well was the tagline on the bottle, which said, treat like milk. Absolutely. Which, yeah. it seems quite benign, but actually that has stayed with me. And For explaining sure. that to other people, just say, well, just treat it like milk. It's a fresh product. Treat it like milk. Absolutely. And everyone knows how to, because when you see store in a cold, dark place, or, you know, all that, that type. Well, what does that mean? You Absolutely. know, moisturizer cream says that. Store yeah, yeah, yeah. in a cool, dark place. And it's something we always turn a blind eye to. Yeah. But the treat like milk thing was, I think, genius. Uh, genius little idea. Just makes it accessible for people, makes it relatable. And, um, yeah. It's confusing when then you have a milk stout and it's like treat like milk, milk stout and, and those type of things. So I know as well that one of the things you're passionate about is independence. Absolutely. So, feral. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, uh, not independent anymore. Quite a good few of um, the breweries that have really championed quality beer. Absolutely. Uh, Feral and Pirate Pirate Life. Life Inevitably. In fact, the Pirate Life collaboration with Ballast Point was uh, one one of the beers I had on tap here yeah a year, not yeah. less than a year ago uh which was sensational um but the big guys buy up the small guys uh particularly the ones who do well uh so i think it's a good thing though i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing yeah there's a lot of animosity in the craft beer world about uh being a sellout um but i think there's a lot of parallels between uh music and beer in that sense where people always treat beer like oh I liked Kings of Leon before they were cool. I liked Hop Hog before it was cool. And then they'll go and scrutinize them for selling out. But it's it's a business at the end of the day. Um, I don't I don't blame anyone for selling out. Like Mount, Mountain Goat, Pirate Life, Feral. Uh, Mountain Goat and Feral especially put in the hard yards for so many years. And then they get recognized for doing a good job. That's k- kudos, good on them. And at the end of the day, if that make if that means I can go to any pub in the middle of Australia, and still drink a Mountain Goat or a Feral on tap, as a, as a standard, that's awesome. How good is that for beer as a whole? No, and it is a, a a gateway for you know those pubs that would have shunned Pirate Life to have that on tap as a standard, as for you sure. say, and that is a game changer. Dave and Cam, from, I remember reading on their 10th birthday, I remember reading an interview where they said, don't get into beer to make money. And yeah. within the next, what, eight years or something, they'd sold and all, all credit to them, you know, because <laughs> they were the ones, you know, making homebrew in the, the garage in Elstonwick. Yeah. But then actually putting the neck on the line to live the dream. They're, all, they're pioneers, man. Like, they're, they, they, they made it, I guess, to a certain extent. I think our ethos about independence is we just want to support local and we want to support um, families and real people. We don't want to support corporations. That's that's it at the end of the day. It doesn't mean the beers, the people are any worse or the beers are any any worse. I had a feral uh, Shooter McGovern's breakfast IPA last night at Beer Mash and it was bloody delicious. I think Will's one of the best brewers in the country, hands down. But yeah, we just we just keep it independent here. Cool. <laughs> That's it solved. That's it sorted. Yeah. All the online stuff can stop now. Yeah, I, just oh, worked it out. the case is closed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man, if only. So, uh, people just get so sensitive about it. People get really grumpy about 
people are selling out. Yeah, I think also, I think particularly Feral Hop Hog has suffered. Um, I expected it to be more of a feature on this podcast. I think Little Creatures Pale Ale has been uh, quite a common game-changing beer. Mm. I'm surprised Feral Hop Hog hasn't shown up as, as often as I would have imagined as a mm. game-changing beer. And I think it's probably almost a victim of its own success because it was number totally. one for so many years running because, you know, and you being a sales rep, that must have been an easy job, yeah. Oh, but at the same time, <laughs> like, it was a great job. It was a great job. But so many people would be like, oh, I've tried Feral before, I'm going to put something else on tap. So, like, towards, towards the end of me working for Feral, I found that it was in this really weird limbo of all... It was too crafty for the not-crafty venues and not crafty enough for the crafty venues. We still, we still sold lots of beer, but there were, it, just, it just found itself in this weird little place because, I guess, it's classic Australian tall poppy syndrome, you know, if it's successful, everyone's like, no, nah, I've tried that as shit. But <laughs> it, it was in this weird place for a little while where even though it was an awesome beer... It's uh, it was just it's been it had been around for so long that people were looking for super crafty venues were looking for other options, but still the beer was too challenging for yeah yeah average venues. Yeah, but I think that's where Feral did really well with all their seasonal releases and all that kind of stuff. They made all sorts of uh, sensational beers. I think in the time that I worked there, I tried seventy different beers from Feral, and there was wow. one. That I was like, oh, if I saw it at a venue, I'd probably say pass. Not that it was bad, but yeah. it just wasn't as good as every other of the every other one of the styles that they made. They just they just can't make bad beer. I, I don't know. The brewers, Brendan and Will, are awesome. And I also think that the success of the Western Australian brewers, particularly, must have had a knock-on effect to the supply chain in Australia in terms of the quality, the the distance they'd have to travel. Etc. Well, and just Must have hammering home on that cold storage point because if you could get a cold stored, cold freighted uh, keg of hop hog for less than a hundred dollars, and your local brewery up the road's not storing cold, like what are you <laughs> like? What are you? What are you doing? I think it was a bit of a wake up call for a lot of brewers. Like we got to take this shit seriously. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. I do remember the hop hog on tap being quite expensive. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of thinking twice about it and then not regretting it. Yeah, you, you try and you're like, oh, it's an investment, it's worthwhile. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Investment's the wrong word. <laughs> My accountant doesn't see it like that. But, um, oh, mine does. <laughs> uh, so, choice six. So, recently we had a little trip to Canada. Uh, it was pretty awesome. And we made a collaboration beer with a brewery called Collective Arts. Uh, we were lucky enough to be uh, the Pine of Origin uh, Canada venue for this year's Good Beer Week. And it was so much fun. So Caleb and I wanted to step it up and do something really cool. So we actually went to Canada, uh, selected, drank at all these different breweries, put together this list of Canadian beers that we loved and uh, shipped it back through our, our good mates with uh, Redwood Distri- Distribution. And... We made a collaboration beer with Collective Arts uh, with 330 kilos of Milo. And <laughs> that's my number six. Our, without trying to toot my own horn, um, just for me, uh, I think it really summarizes uh, my journey in beer 
going from the first one all the way to this one where I'm actually getting to travel around the world to make beer. Sick. Sounds like a tough work work trip. Yeah. I'm away from work for a work this week. Yeah, I'm going away for work. I'm just going to pick up a pallet of Milo and make a deal with it. Yeah, I'll have trouble sleeping because the jet lag, I'll take the <laughs> so yeah, 300 the, kilos the cool of Milo. The thing about working for Feral was the, the network that I developed and the amount that I learned. And the person that we hung out with in Canada uh, was someone I used to sell beer to. Uh, Dan, who Dan John, who used to operate uh, Foresters, he was mm. the manager there, and him and I just became close because Foresters bought lots of feral, and I sold feral, so I'd come bug him every week and just you know hang out and talk, shoot the shit, and we just became really good mates, and I think that was a really incredibly valuable thing for me, and then to take it to the next step where he's moved on to Canada to look after national sales for one of the best breweries in the country in Canada. And we get to make a hang out and make a collaboration beer. It's, it's really special, and I think uh, just the beer, the beer world, and the beer community, and the involvement of everyone is like it's everything's uh, it's everything's coming close. Everything's becoming really beautiful. Everyone's it's like what I was saying about getting fresh beer from Canada in five weeks in Australia. It's it's all happening, and it's all really exciting. So tell us about this beer. What does it? What is it? What does oh, it taste like? Oh, it was like? a breakfast out. Oh, I'm horrible. I just keep on fluffing around details. <laughs> um, so we decided to make a breakfast out. We wanted to make a beer that represented something um, Australian. So that's why we included Milo. And have, as a breakfast out, we used lactose as well. So I think it was the golden ratio, my golden ratio of Milo and milk, 330 kilos of Milo to 150 kilos of lactose. So it's like a two parts Milo to one part milk. Um, which is, you know, the golden ratio. <laughs> uh, and it's just a big, sweet, viscous, like, milk stout. Um, and we've got it on tap now, and we'll have it on tap for our birthday, which is coming up in a few weeks as well, first birthday. Now, before we talk about your first birthday, because mm. that does sound exciting, what's mm. lined up for that weekend, um, there is also um, something you've been doing with wine as well. Oh, yeah, a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah, tell us a little. I know this is a beer podcast, but, you know... We'll branch out. Yeah, I mean, we've got plans to do a little bit with whiskey and uh, Caleb and Dave, who's our bottle shop manager, have just been down at the Mornington Peninsula blending some wine. We're about to launch a little wine label um, coming soon called Good Juice, which will be pretty fun. Uh, just about, you know, accessible accessible wines at decent prices. So, you know, we're just focused on booze as a whole. And I love to talk about beer but as i said at the start of the podcast we're super passionate about everything else as well so caleb and dave are putting in the hard yards and putting in a lot of effort to do something with wine as well and then we might have something with you know whiskey or maybe a few other things coming out at the end of the year it's very exciting and talking of excitements i uh, did look at the schedule for this first birthday weekend which yeah looks fantastic uh tell us a little bit give us a little bit of a, a flavor of what's going to be happening that weekend so um, we love to party, so we've decided instead of just doing it for one day, we're going to have an event that spans the entire weekend of the 24th, 25th, and 26th of August. Uh, all of our first pour spirits, we're going to be upgrading to premium products and still only charging $9 a nip for them. Uh, we're going to have updated wine list as well with super cool, natty, minimal invention wines. Uh, we've got... 
a new cocktail list that we're launching on the Sunday uh, and some cool beers as well. So Friday night we're doing a bit of a sour beer showcased with Cantillon and Crooked Staves and Hill Farmstead. We're going to showcase all of the collaboration beers that we've made throughout the year. So we've got an Aperol Spritz beer that we made with uh, Molly Rose. Uh, awesome. Nick, Nick from Molly, Molly Rose is an awesome brewer. And we made that little Aperol Spritz sour uh, with oranges and rhubarb and, uh, and cinnamon with those Aperol flavors. And our Milo beer will be on tap. And we've got a collaboration with Green Beacon that we made with the native Australian ingredients. So Davidson Plums, uh, Enigma Hops and Murray River Pink Salt. So that will be on tap. And then the next night we've got some Big Bad Dark Beers, Boat Rocker Ramjet, KBS, CBS, Evil Twin. Uh, we might have some Omnipolo. Oh, exciting stuff. It's worth, it sounds worth getting an Airbnb for. The yeah, totally. <laughs> come come, come great. A, uh, just come or, stay at the bar. Yeah, stay just at sleep. The, <laughs> stay at the bar for the weekend. Sleep in the cool room. Totally. Um, and then on Sunday, we'll just do a little showcase of the, the best of the weekend, I think. So tapping up, I guess, Canteon next to Ramjet's pretty exciting. Yeah. That is exciting. And um, you're also up for, for an award, oh, m- multiple awards, isn't it, in the Australian bartender? Yeah. Yeah, crazy. It's really cool. We're not even a year in and we're, we've been recognised for Best New Pub and uh, Specialty Beer Venue of the Year. Um, there's a lot of awesome venues that we've been put up against, so it's just kind of nice to be... Uh, I guess nominated. That's hey, look, awards mean nothing unless you win them. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know oh, that's generally the rule. <laughs> to, to be fair, I, I think we all feel pretty privileged that we even got recognition to be to be nominated. Not even a year in, it's unreal. unreal. It is it is unreal at how you've managed to carve this venue out of a two dollar shop and not just tiptoe into it, but actually kick the doors down and and change and probably change what foots gray as well have a big impact on the community as well now i'm thinking year one it's gone pretty well year two that's a difficult second album isn't it what have you got planned for we've we've got a few things in the works there's nothing that i i can disclose on this <laughs> podcast but uh yeah we're hoping to do it bigger and better i think uh, a lot of the first year was just getting our getting comfortable and uh, putting a few procedures in place and all those kind of things and doing exciting stuff on the side. But year two is definitely going to be a lot more event-focused and uh, a few more collaborations and all that kind of jazz as well. Well, it sounds like lots and lots of exciting things happening. Before you leave us, Josh, uh, what are you drinking these beers out of? All right. I've, I've, had, I've, had, I've thought long and hard. Uh, I think the, the Little Creatures just deserves a pint. You just need a classic, a classic vessel. Uh, keep it super simple. Uh, second beer, Coinda, uh, out of an armpit to emphasise the, <laughs> the flavours of the the passion fruit and the armpits in that one. That would be my vessel number two. Vessel number three, which is the Hitachinos, uh, straight from the tank. Lips lips on the nozzle. <laughs> no vessel necessary. Uh, number four which is the uh, Cascade, or the Wild Ale. Uh, I think if you could serve it in an ocean format, uh, so take up the Pacific Ocean, but fill it all with that beer, <laughs> that would be ideal. Um, a bathtub would suffice. Uh, some lar- large format. I just want lots of it, 
I want it all around me. I want to live in it. Uh, Hop Hog. Uh, I've got a few nice feral branded glasses at home. <laughs> Little uh, Pilsner style branded feral glass always goes well. But, you know, Hoppy Beers, nice little goblet or something along those lines. And the last beer, Milo Milkshake. Uh, I guess you just have to drink that out of a Mr. West branded schooner glass. I would, I would think it's uh, the <laughs> one of those big Milo tins. A big Milo tin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that the would be the one. The thing about that beer is that Milo doesn't come or didn't come in larger formats than 900 grams. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we had to o- individually open like all... I can't remember how many tins it was. Uh, and they've all got that little metal metal seal. And I I used to cut my fingers on them as a kid all the time. And I did it at the brewery. And <laughs> I felt like <laughs> such a noodle. I was bleeding. I had a Band-Aid. Yeah. So maybe out of a Milo tin. Good idea. When you were reading out those uh, or reciting those those receptacles, I thought this is like a craft beer nerd's like adult only phone call the way you called the craft beer hotline put your lips straight on it straight from the straight from the tank put your lips on the nozzle straight from the tank yeah that is a bit morbid yeah so and uh, talking of morbid tea snack to go with you choose one snack to go with these beers what's your ultimate bar snack so in the in the pub setting for little creatures, a uh, nice packet of uh, Smiths or cri- chips, crisps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for the uh, no cultural sensitivity. <laughs> no worries, it's your podcast. I'm your I'm your I'm your guest. Um, second beer, snack. I think I'd have it. We used to have this uh, awesome uh, pork belly stir fry at Cookie, and I think that would be a really appropriate thing to have on the side. Nice fatty. Fatty stir fry. Um, number. Not the, I don't even know what I drink. Eat with a stout. Shortbread. Oysters. Shortbread. Yeah, anything. It was just so delicious. I mean, in Japan, I'd love to have it with a nice bowl of ramen or some sushi next to it. Let's go with ramen. Let's go with a nice, a nice uh, spicy ramen. The Cascade does not need a snack. That, that I think I'd be I'd be sacrilegious to have anything else except that beer with it. Uh, with the hop hog roast pork, I used to smash. I used to cook roast pork at home all the time, and pork and pale ale are just best friends. They and the hog as well. Exactly, <laughs> it's it speaks exactly for itself. It speaks for itself. <laughs> uh, and the last beer, well, just to keep on the pork theme, we do have uh, this beautiful pork crackling at the bar, so I'd eat it with a nice little, nice little uh, side of pork crackling. So we've got three different pork pairings. <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here. It must be all that hog influence growing up with fer- with feral hop hog, hop hog, hop hog, and I'm all porked. I'm all porked out. I think that's what I do. I think they're safe options. Yeah, you've well t- well played. You've Thank chosen you. well. Thank and, you. Uh, kind of Milo. It's a meal in itself, anyway. For Absolutely. the last beer, you know, yeah, you've got, got a Milo in it. It's breakfast it is champions. A food, it is a food stuff, isn't it, Milo? Yeah. It? Yeah. So. Well, at least the Milo ads as a kid told me that. It was? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Did you <laughs> so have, go When and you go were and go. taking it all apart, did you have to wear face masks? Or when you blew your nose, did it all come out like Milo? Because all the fine dust in the air. That is so funny you say that. Uh, for the sake of uh, collective arts not getting uh, 
thrown under the bus with uh, food safety. I'm going to say yes. We're all we're all very uh, <laughs> <laughs> very well prepared. We had masks and gloves Breathing and apparatus. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was yeah. it was all very professional. Very above board. Very yeah, above yeah. board. But it's not going to kill you. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> it might give you chocolatey asthma, but that's yeah, that's absolutely. it. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Josh. Oh, so, thanks for coming. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, just mrwestbar.com.au on Instagram at mrwestbar. But people uh, really shouldn't follow, find you online. They should find you here at the absolutely. bar. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm here a lot um, of the time. Which it's very, very close to Footscray train station. Absolutely. And uh, so many lines go through it. It's a stone's throw from the city, uh, yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, 10 too. minutes out of the city. Yeah, definitely well worth the trip to come down here and, uh, and meet Josh and Caleb and the other awesome staff who work here and... Uh, you know, have some cracking beers. Yeah, beers are good. Beers yeah. are good. <laughs> beers are good. That's the awesome. best sign off for this podcast so far. Thanks for having me. Yeah, beers are good. Cheers. Cheers, Josh. So that was it. Josh Hodges, former feral sales rep, now kicking goals and Footscray with Mr. West. If you haven't been to the bar, just go. And also, the nice thing is, it's not the only place in Footscray to go, so you can certainly make a night of it and visit many, many really great venues around Footscray and still get the train back into the city or wherever you want to go. So, well worth the trip. In the next episode of The Chosen Brew, I'm speaking with an Irishman who is very very passionate about beer. They had a visit from uh, some of the top brass in uh, St. James's Gate, apparently, and they came down and checked out the bar, and they had a good laugh, and they said, look, we'll give you three months. And they were like, what, what do you mean? And uh, we'll give you three months before you shut, because um, you don't have a Guinness, and there's no way a pub in Dublin is going to survive more than three months without Guinness. If you're going to Bendigo on the hop, I will see you there Make sure you say hello. I'll be striding around the streets there of uh, one of Victoria's most beautiful towns. And if you're not going to Bendigo on a hop, well, it's Mr. West's birthday weekend. So you should definitely pop along to Mr. West and have a go. Say hello to Josh and Caleb there as well. As always, it's been a pleasure. Make sure you share on Instagram, Facebook, social media, whatever. Get your friend's phone. Make sure you get them to listen to it. The more people who listen, it's it's better, isn't it? Just better because it means better beer for everybody. We become more educated and uh, we get to drink nicer stuff. So please do share, rate, review, whatever platform. I'll take anything I can get and I'll speak to you next month.